Caribbean Cricket Podcast with me, David Oram. In this midweek extra edition, I'm very pleased to be delighted by an old mate of mine from Barbados, uh, a fellow Brit uh, of the name of Terry Bent. Terry is, uh, well, I think I can describe Terry as an expert on the Barbados Trident over there on uh, uh, that island in the Caribbean, but also Terry is uh, currently a regular guest on the show that I used to be. Uh, the uh, co-host of Mason and Guests in Barbados on Voice of Barbados. Uh, Terry, thank you ever so much for spending uh, some time with me. It's great to chat to you again, David. (laughs) Well, I know it's uh, National Heroes Day there in uh, uh, Barbados, a bank holiday, and uh, I know you're eager to uh, get off to the beach and have some rum punch uh, this afternoon, but uh, I'm sure you can uh, manage half an hour of uh, chat. We'll, 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 we'll cut right to it, um, Terry. You and I don't uh, particularly uh, see eye to eye on uh, the what I was describing before we started this recording as the uh, current the current Caribbean cricket civil war. But I think it's incredibly important that the, the different sides air their views. Not this week, the week last week on the Mason and Guest Show. Uh, hosted by Andrew Mason. You were one of the panellists on there, in which a very heated discussion came out. Um, Voices were heard very loudly of the pro-WICB lobby, um, most particularly Gregory Nichols, the former Barbados Cricket Association secretary, and Condi Riley of the uh, Barbados Cricket Association. You could barely get a word in edgeways, uh, Terry, on that show. And this was the show... I didn't actually get a word in edgeways at all during the actual (laughs) argument. Well, I, I promise you, I will let you get in most of the edgeway, uh, words edgeways and otherwise, um, you know, from from here on in. But this was the show that Terry, that Tony Cozier was referring to. He didn't name it by by name uh, in his piece this week for ESPN Crick Info, highlighting the divisions in the region. I hope people listening to this are well aware of those divisions and the comments that Darren Sammy made after the. Uh, World Cup final, the 2020 World Cup final. It's really the background of where they come from and where people like you and I see the situation. But in short, Terry, what if you could have got a word in Edgeways on that show? What would you have said? Well, the, the, the ICC have come out this week and condemned the players for comments made after the game. Mm. Uh, they've also condemned Marlon Samuels for sitting in a press conference with his pads on and one foot on the table. Yeah. But you have to look at these things from, from both angles. Uh, it was the ideal opportunity for the players to make some points. Mm. Uh, now, I, you say that we disagree with things, which we do to, to a certain extent because you don't think it was the right forum for them to do it. However, I believe that it was their big opportunity to do it. Now, I'm not saying that it was correct, but when frustration has built up for so many years with differences between the players and the board, mm-hmm. when they get the opportunity in front of the world's media to, to have their little say, it's human nature, you know, and I, I, don't, I don't condemn them. What the, they said, and in particular, D- Darren Sammy as, as the team captain. Darren, <clears throat> Darren has been the one portrayed in the media, but he wasn't the only player that came out and said things. Most, uh, quite a lot of the team, most of the senior players in the team, uh, made comments after the game um, because they are united in their dislike for the way the West Indies cricket is being run at the moment. Mm, yeah, yeah. The, um, I mean, one thing I would disagree with you there to start with is uh, actually in the piece I wrote for First Post in India that I know you did respond quite strongly to, I actually defended Sammy's right to say what he said. I, I think my phrase was, it was his platform and he was entitled to it. Where I 
disagree is that um, I feel the players, their sense of disrespect from the board emerges from the pay, or I was going to say pay settlements, they haven't been settled yet, uh, the pay dispute that's going on and, uh, and I would defend the right uh, and the way the West Indies Cricket Board have tried to re reorganise uh, finances of the, uh, of the region's cricket um, to the detriment of their players. I would not defend the way in which they've gone about it. But then I don't perhaps reflect or understand as well the feeling of those players and perhaps that's the sort of thing that people like yourselves need to get across to people like me. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, obviously I've spoken to a lot of the players having worked uh, closely with the, the Barbados team and the players over the last few years since the CPL began mm. and also getting to speak to a lot of the players not only from the Barbados team but uh, the players involved a lot of them that were involved in the various disputes I mean my, one of my, my favourite stories is the fact that you never know which Marlon Samuels you're going to get <laughs> you can sit in a press conference with Marlon he'll sit there and answer questions yes or no mm. and then on a good day you can't shut him up. <laughs> you never know which Marlon you're going to get. And Marlon in the final, to be honest, a lot of people, particularly in the West Indies, a lot of supporters didn't believe Marlon should have even been in the team. No, right. Because Marlon is a hit and miss player. He has a good day. He has two, three bad days. And he had a good day in, in, in the opening game. Uh, and he certainly had a very good game in the final. Yeah. Uh, but that's Marlon. Marlon's a big game player. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and Marlon is a strange character. And I say they picked the day when Marlon had total euphoria. He proved his critics wrong. And he sat there in a typical West Indian laid-back way with his feet on the table. Uh, and now the ICC are saying that action should be taken against him for showing disrespect or whatever. Mm. Um, but it is the West Indian way. They, they, the West Indian people are very laid back. And Marlon was making his point that day that his detractors didn't stop him going out and helping uh, the West Indies win the, the T20 World, World Cup. Mm, yeah. No, no, his, his euphoria uh, burst over. I mean, in that ICC uh, release uh, con condemning them, they haven't actually correct me if I'm wrong, spelt out exactly what they were referring to. The implication was it was Marlon Samuel's press conference. The implication was it was Daniel uh, Darren Samuel's comments in his acceptance speech. Uh, it may even be implying that they didn't like the West Indies players parading around topless. There was clearly a lot of people upset with a lot of things, but I'd like to know what it was that had really upset them. What, the players in, in the first instance? Well, no, that as well, but, but the, the, the ICC... The ICC. Mm. Um, well, the ICC, obviously, uh, to some extent, they have to they have to back the West Indies board. And I'm sure that the ICC weren't happy that the players did come out and condemn the board after the, uh, after the final. Um, and it's interesting that a lot mm. of the players are still saying that they never really have received proper recognition for what they did by the WICB. Mm. Now, obviously, it's difficult because straight after that final, a lot of the players were going off to play in the IPL. Um, so it's not it's not like in England, you know, you win the FA Cup or you win the, 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 the Premier League <coughs> and the team have a, a, an open bus driving around the, 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 the city or wherever, uh, parading the trophy. It's difficult with the West Indies because the players are split from so many islands so far apart that they can't do that, and I understand that. Um, but, you know, straight away, uh, the uh, St. Lucia board renamed the stadium yeah. uh, at Eau Jour after Darren Sammy. Uh, they gave a stand to Johnson Charles. Um, and other things have come out. Mm. And moving away from that, just one little point here. Last year, when uh, Shivranine Chanderpaul played his last game for the, for the West Indies, the West Indies said that they were going to do something for him to honour what he's done. And they haven't done it. Yeah. And, and it, it's an accumul accumulation of, of these sort of things where they say they're going to do something, they don't do it, 
they forget about it, it goes away. But what they don't realise is that the, the, the supporting public realise what's going on and they can see why the players are unhappy. If you go to uh, a rum shop, and for, the, for those who aren't in Barbados, a rum shop is basically a, a, a spit and sawdust bar in England. You know, it's, it's a place where, where the locals get together and discuss the issues of the day, which in Barbados tends to be mainly cricket. You're making me so so jealous of forgetting my days in, um, you know, in Barbados. Uh, we don't have many rum shops here in Islamabad, Terry. No, I'm sure you don't. Um, but, you know, the guys get together and they have some great arguments and you can sit there and listen in and, and, and join in. Um, and the actual public feel that players have been let down time and time again. Mm, yeah. Um, I, to be honest, it, let's, let's go one step further. It's not just the players, it's the coach. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think that's I think that's very true. And uh, he gave an interview with uh, Quick Info uh, recently, in which he, um, yeah, he, he effectively voiced his own displeasure. I, I I do wonder how long he has got left in that job. I really do. But that's perhaps a, a separate thing. I mean, to me, Terry, so much of this is about perception. Um, the West Indies cricket board do get a lot of things wrong. Personally, I think in the bigger picture, through the things they've enacted in the Richard Pybus report, they're getting a lot right. But I think their communication and that's that sense of disrespect, I don't think they actually literally have disrespected the pl- players. There is no doubt whatsoever those guys felt disrespected. Absolutely. And I, and I think you hit the nail on the head there in the word communication. Mm. They don't communicate very well. Mm. Um, you know... Um, Looking at the whole situation, what, one of the thing, one of the things that has stuck in my mind for a long, long time is that, and it happens in cricket around the world, that you appoint a head coach, and then you appoint a board of selectors who pick the team. And obviously, one of the big arguments that that came up from the India tour last year was that the head coach Phil Simmons didn't believe he was taking the best team to India. And it certainly wasn't the team that he wanted to take. Yeah. Um, and I, I have this, this idea in my head that why do countries now in world cricket have a board of selectors? Why don't they use the same system mm. that they use in football, where you appoint a head coach, the head coach picks the players he wants for whatever the tournament is, knowing the conditions where he's going, knowing the sort of players that he's got available, knowing, knowing the players that he needs in those conditions, let him pick his, his team and he stands and falls by his results. Mm. If he takes a team out to India and they get thrashed and they don't win a single game, he's going to get the sack. And the same happens in football. Um, but when you take, give a man a job and then take away his control from him, He's just a figurehead. He's just the man that, that's standing there to take the fall when it all goes wrong. And he's had no control over a lot of that. Mm. No, I, I think he's in a, an invidious position. Um, I also wonder a little bit that if he isn't perhaps with a certain section of the players, and particularly those that are most disaffected, um, perhaps a little too close. Uh, I don't think that's healthy. I certainly don't think that his predecessor, Otis Gibson, would have <laughs> shared a lot of the beliefs uh, that Phil Simmons does now. But that, that, that's, that's, that's by the by. Let's, let's... Yeah, so, sorry, David, you just said that he's too close. Well, that is, that, that is the thing. You know, managers and coaches do get close to their players, and obviously some of them have played, played with him in the, in the past. You know, he's got one in the team who's his nephew. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, you say that happens in football. And if the coach is there and he's standing and falling by his results, I mean, to be quite honest, it's like saying that, that, that Claudio Ranieri <laughs> could win the English Premier League this year and they'll sack him at the end of the season mm. because he's fallen out with the, with the, with the board. You know, I mean, it makes no sense. No, you know, and, that's, and if that happened, the people of Leicester would turn around <laughs> and totally decry the board. And that is what's <laughs> happening in cricket in the West Indies at the moment. Yeah, Phil uh, Simmons has just won the World Cup. Yeah, ab- absolutely. No, no, I, I, that's a very good point. Uh, a very good point. Uh, the fact of the matter is that, uh, call it cricket politics, um, means that that gets in the way and uh, there isn't that set up. 
Um, for the boys. Well, yes, yes. Um, but because that's the, that's the popular that's the popular opinion on the street mm. is that, that they have a board of selectors uh, based on two things: one that the, the selectors from each of the various islands well. want players from their islands in the team. And the other is that it's just jobs for the boys and people are getting paid money, uh, not really to do a great deal. Yeah, yeah. Let's let's take it a little wider because uh, um, I don't really have any issues as such with Phil Simmons. Um, I I come from a perspective where I am trying to see the bigger picture and trying to see what they're trying to do. The WICB with with rebuilding the cricket, and if that does impact detrimentally upon Chris Scale, Dwayne Bravo, Darren Sammy, I'm of the opinion that I'm prepared to write them off. That might be a bit, you know, strong, um, but it's it's not just the players that are upset at the moment, and it's not just the uh, men in the street as well, is it, Terry? Um, the the statement last week in Grenada by the uh, the legends surely not something that can be ignored. Um, well, in the in the heated debate we had on Mason and Guests last week, um, one of the things was that both Condi Riley and Gregory Nichols were condemning the the fact that the legends were being involved in this, mm. uh, and they didn't like to see the legends' name being put forward as as in support of of whatever. You know, they don't think that it's good for the game, or certainly good for the reputation. Uh, but, you know, it's not just one or two, it's quite a few. You know, I mean, Viv Richards came out and said some very strong things about the board. Yeah, yeah, and he's come out subsequently uh, against the ICC's uh, 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 release. Um, those those guys are obviously not as attached and as close to the West Indies cricket board as they were. Derek Murray, though, is not completely detached from it. He was one of the uh, co-authors of the Barito Report, and he's uh, lent his name to this uh, condemnation. And he's a man that I know is widely respected, not just in uh, Trinidad and Tobago, but uh, throughout. Um, these men are maybe a little out of touch. They're not fools, and I don't think they'd be quite so easily used. No, um, I mean, the, the other thing is that these statements allegedly come out from the the, the, the cricket legends, uh, who are the, the, the greats of the, the, the West Indies teams in the past. Um, but then you, you've got to look at it both ways. They're also condemning a lot of the players for playing T20 cricket and earning money. People <laughs> uh, are also saying, well, perhaps that's a little bit of sour grapes because you weren't, earn, weren't earning that sort of money in your day and you didn't have the opportunities with things like T20 cricket. Um, and perhaps it's a little bit of sour grapes that you weren't able to accumulate some of the money that, that, that is available now. But what you have to look at is that the West Indies team going into the, that World Cup was the oldest team in the tournament. Yeah. And all of those players, or a big majority of those players, are approaching the end of their careers. Yeah. And, you know, if you, if you know you've only got a few years to go, you make money while you can, you, you know, you fit for the rest of your life to set you up for the rest of your life. Yeah, yeah, no, it's understandable. And I take your point, I think it's a very good point you make about the legends. Um, they have flip-flopped a little. It's not so long ago that Sir Garfield Sobers uh, was weeping for the state of uh, West Indies cricket and the sort of young men, that, that what their priorities are now. And he put his name to this uh, recent statement. Uh, Sir Andy Roberts was one of those who was incredibly outspoken against those guys that went on strike in India and wanted the whole lot of them banned signy die. Um, now he's uh, got the yeah, other I mean, side. Sorry, that, that, that point about the players that went on strike in India is something that I did manage to get a word in at the end of the, the argument. <laughs> and I, I said that, you know, it's okay trying to defend the West Indies cricket board, but when they'd send a, a, an aeroplane load of players out to India for a tournament and they haven't even signed a contract because they've been told, oh, the contracts are being drawn up, this, that and the other, but it's all been agreed with the players' union, of which most of the team that were on the aeroplane weren't members of, and only one member of the squad that went out to play in the World Cup is a member of. Um, that is where the problem arises, and I suggested that perhaps uh, the players should set up a new union. Absolutely. Um, 
And that didn't go down very well with the people involved with the West Indies board because obviously they're saying, uh, well, they said that there's over 300 members of Weeper, and I've been told that that is nowhere near the case, but who knows? Uh, only Weeper know, uh, which is the West Indies Players Association. But of the, of the players that went out to to the World Cup, there was only one member of Weeper. Yeah, the West Indies argument was, well, we've agreed it with your union, but it's not the union and most of the players that were on the, the aeroplane. And I said to some of the players following their return from India, frankly, I I passed the, the, the FIFA players' agent exam just before I moved to Barbados 11 and a half years ago. Hmm. Uh, and I was going to represent footballers in the UK. And I said to them, I would never have allowed anyone that I was representing to get on an aeroplane and go out anywhere if they hadn't had that contract in the hands for at least a week before they were getting on the aeroplane to see whether they agreed with it or not. And clearly they didn't. Their, their, their salary was being slashed by about half. Yeah. Um, you know, and why would you go out there? I, I blame the players to a certain extent, or to a big extent, for getting on the aeroplane without having even seen the contract. I, I entirely agree with you. The uh, In terms of the India strike, um, 2014, uh, they'd had the new MOU come in and whatever, and they'd signed off on it, um, not realising what it entailed. It was common practice then for their contracts to just be signed at the last moment when they got there. This was the slapdash way the West Indies cricketers been for generations. At that time, I think most of them were members of the union because the union, up until the professionalisation of cricket in the Caribbean, was just the international guys. When it then got spread to the wider populace of the uh, uh, the regional sides, you then got, I think it's 105 of them, are um, professional male players. I think there's 11 women as well. Um, where they get the 300 from, I don't know, but certainly there's 116. And only one of them, I don't know who that guy is, is, I would guess, probably Evan Lewis, uh, was still a member when they went out for this World Cup. I can understand why they still went, because it was their last hurrah. But yes, they should be checking their, uh, their, their, their contracts before they go. They have been silly to put themselves in this position, but it was a, an appalling... Well, it's... it's Mismanagement, appalling um, mismanagement by the West Indies West Indies Cricket Board to allow that situation uh, to arise in the first place. Just absolute madness. And I, I totally agree with you, Terry. At that time of the strike, I said those international players, if they're not represented by Weeper, stop moaning about Wavell Hines. Go and form your own union. It has to be a separate identity. It, the West Indies Cricket Board can't hide behind, oh, well, there's your union. Oh, you're not signed up to it. We'll only deal with them. You must sign your own union. Yeah, well, fortunately, uh, the Indian board of, of in the last week uh, agreed to waive the 42 million US dollars that they were trying to get back from the, uh, the the board. But on the grounds that next year they go and finish the the tour that wasn't finished when the players returned home. Mm. Uh, it will be very interesting to see how many of the players that were on the original tour get on the aeroplane for the uh, <laughs> resumption of it. Uh, um, only the younger ones. That, that, I mean, we could go around all night on this, but I do want to ask you some CPL-related questions before before we uh, call it a day. Um, what do you see happening next? I think I think this, this meeting that's coming up ahead of the ODI series with Australia and South Africa, it's either an opportunity for... Forget whether they did or didn't play in the Najiko Super 50, an opportunity for an olive branch for these guys to be introduced, reintroduced to the field, or a complete parting of the ways. Which way do you think it will go? At the moment, I think the West Indies Cricket Board will stick by their decision that if you didn't play in the regional 50 over, you won't be available for selection, mm. which means that Barbados, uh, sorry, the West Indies team that play in that tournament will be a Wheaton side. Mm. They'll be playing against two very, very strong sides, I suspect, with a, a youngish side, that could well get seriously embarrassed. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. And I would then be surprised if we do see um, a lot of those guys in West Indies colours again. I, I mean, Sammy's getting past his best. Chris Gale is only fit enough now, really, to play 20-over cricket anyway. Dwayne Bravo is still at his best, but 
I don't know how good he would still be in a one-day international. The, the real losses would be guys like uh, Andre Russell. Yeah, and um, uh, Dwayne's brother, Darren. Now, Darren didn't go to the... He pulled out of the uh, World Cup squad saying that he wanted to play in the regional 50-over games to uh, get his form back and to to, to look towards this tri-team tri -team tournament. Yeah. That is a twister uh, <laughs> this summer. And uh, he played one game. Yeah, yeah. Though, uh, apparently, he... Uh, uh, something fell on his head, or did he get hit in nets? I, I read something. He was subsequently injured when he got back, and so, it, but it just again wasn't well communicated. There was a lots of I know on the the Caribbean talk shows, people saying, "Why the hell isn't he playing?" Well, why hadn't the Trinidad board made that clear? Well, absolutely, and I say it all goes down to, to poor communication, yeah. not just from the West Indies cricket board, but from the regional boards. You know, they don't communicate well. There are so many games actually happen here in Barbados that I only get to find out about when I read the report in the newspaper. Yeah. Things, aren't, things here aren't communicated well. So many things happen on this island every day that people have no idea are going on until after they've happened. <laughs> it, uh, it's a bugbear of mine too. And something that I am very passionate about as somebody who lived in the Caribbean and still monitors remotely through the newspapers and the media what's going on in the cricket world. What annoys me the most is that to the wider world, they are not aware of the diversity and the divergent opinions on any of these issues in the Caribbean. So when somebody like Darren Sammy makes a statement, most of the, almost all of the press in India agrees with it because the West Indies Cricket Board don't represent themselves properly. And there's only really, in the wider world, the wider cricket world, two voices that they hear coming out of the Caribbean. One is Tony Cozier, with his uh, weekly excellent column for Quick Info, but he is passionately against the West Indies Cricket Board, and Dave Cameron in particular, since uh, Cameron barred him from uh, uh, commentating anymore, and Michael Holding, who has similar sentiments. I think uh, it's something they really need to focus upon to make sure that people in England, Australia, India know that... Uh, this is not a, a, a cut-and-dried thing, that there are arguments on both sides that are not being aired properly. Yeah, um, the, the big problem, I mean, the big problem with, with the West Indies cricket team, and I mean, Trinidad have even talked about going it alone yeah. uh, and, and pulling out of the West Indies cricket board. And the big problem is that when you've got well, six major areas, which includes a number of different islands, um, everybody wants their own players to be playing for the West Indies. Yeah. Um, and it's very difficult because the islands are so spread out, the players don't get together very often. There's no, no proper leagues here as such. And the reason the Indians are so interested in West Indies cricket is because the best players go out and play in the IPL for IPL teams. Uh, at the moment, as we're talking... Um, uh, KKR are playing Mumbai Indians, um, yeah. you know, and Pollard, people like yeah. Kyron Pollard, who's playing for, for, for Mumbai Indians today, who I don't think is anywhere near fit, and I would probably prefer not to see him playing in the IPL, yeah. uh, because he's doing himself no favours, although he needs match practice. Um, but that's the problem. He needs match practice. And there's no cricket going on in the West Indies of a reasonable standard for him yeah. to get it. So he's yeah. got to go to places like the IPL to, to play against top players, to get his form back, hopefully in time, to captain the Tridents again this summer. Yeah, no, I agree. The, uh, we'll come on to the CPO in just a moment. The only thing I, I always blanch at when I hear it repeated is uh, the best players. These are clearly their best 2020 players. They may be their best uh, 50 over players. That's arguable. I mean, they're, what, ninth in the world, the West Indies. A lot of these guys would not be their best test players anymore. They're either not fit, 
uh, their, their game is not uh, adaptable to it. I mean, Sam, Samuel Badri has never been a first-class cricketer. He's not a first-class cricketer. He's a fine 20-over bowler. He might be OK in one-day internationals. Uh, Gale's certainly not fit enough anymore. And a lot of them have just withdrawn their labour from uh, uh, first-class cricket because they don't think it's worth their time or their body won't allow them to play four or five days of cricket uh, for uh, a fraction of the wages that they would get for playing the shorter format. And that includes Lyndall Simmons, Andre Russell, uh, Dwayne Bravo. Um, they're, they're their best, best short-format players. Sure, absolutely. And, and just to, just to uh, reiterate a point, uh, last night on Mason and Guests, sorry, on Tuesday evening on Mason and Guests, uh, they had a chat with Tino Best, who's obviously gone in to replace Fidel Edwards uh, in the UK at the moment. And Tino, Tino made a very good point. He said West Indies players are appreciated all around the world, whereas in the islands... They're not appreciated in the way that they are elsewhere. Mm. And that is really strange. He said, you know, he said, if I went out to a bar in Barbados, everyone would want to come up and have an argument with me. <laughs> he said, I'm going to a bar in England and people start phoning the mates. Tino Best's in the local pub and people would turn up and take selfies with him and <laughs> buy him drinks. And he said, and it's, it's not just England, it's Australia, it's South Africa, it's India. He said the players are appreciated far more overseas than what they are in the West Indies. Yeah, it's um, hey, I think we're we're both Englishmen. Uh, in my case, three and a half years, and yours, eleven and a half years. So fifteen years between us. The experience of living in the Caribbean, their culture is different. We don't want to judge it, but at times we struggle to understand it. I want to ask you about the CPL, uh, but before I do, before I forget, I just want last last time on this show. I think it was me mentioned that uh, Trinidad and Tobago are thinking of going alone. I did get uh, a message from Azim Bazarath, the Trinidad and Tobago Cricket Board, totally refuting that. So I just want to uh, mention that again uh, here. The, the, the CPL is coming up, uh, Terry. We've talked about the India Tour. Um, you wrote the other day on your uh, blog, you write extensively and uh, with a great deal of um, inside knowledge as well about the Barbados Tridents. And we'll make sure that we give out your uh, address for that before the end of the show. Uh, the, fi the fixtures are still a little unclear. Guyana have said that uh, they've got the uh, semi-finals and final. That hasn't been confirmed. Um, there's, there's a lot of confusion still around this tournament, isn't there? There is. And I actually wrote on my blog page, I think it was last August, that I was worried about where... Uh, you were the first to flag it. You were the first person anywhere to write this and say, hang on, look at the fixture list. What's going on? You were the first. Absolutely. And, and you know, you only have to look at the, the future's future programs calendar to realise and they have the same issue next year uh, that there are other things in the offing obviously the one thing that, that hadn't been confirmed at the start of this year was whether India would be touring the West Indies or not because of, <laughs> of the issues between the boards but that has been confirmed now uh, that four test matches are being played and those four test matches although as you say a lot of the players wouldn't be involved but some would have been yeah um, and they're on central contract, so they can't play in the CPL this summer. But the biggest problem it's created is the fact that the grounds are being used for test yeah. cricket as well. Yeah. Uh, in the, in the, the two weeks before the start of the CPL, we have the tri-team tournament. Um, and it always looked as if there was going to be fixture congestion. And it's proved that way. And I think that the problem that, that the CPL have at the moment... We are now nine weeks today to the first games of, of this year's CPL, mm. and five countries' fixtures have still not been released. The only <laughs> the only released fixtures are the games in St Kitts and Nevis, which are the first week, mm. uh, and the week that is being played in Florida, which is mm. <clears throat> another issue that you know I have opinions on. <laughs> well, share uh, them, please, please share them. Well, number one. Florida is not in the Caribbean. <laughs> um, I know at the moment, because the the American uh, cricket boards have been disbanded again and there's new people taking over the running of cricket in America, and for commercial reasons, uh, the CPL would like to get 
America involved in, in, in T20 cricket and see if they can generate interest there because obviously that's good for the TV ratings. Mm. But it's not the Caribbean. And mm. um, I was alarmed when after the uh, draft at the Concord Experience here in Barbados uh, earlier this year, I was talking with Damien O'Donoghue, and, uh, who's the CEO of the, the Caribbean Premier League, and Damien said to me at the time that the people bidding for the final were Guyana, uh, Trinidad and Barbados, and that he would like to see come to Barbados this year because he knows I'd be very unhappy <laughs> if Trinidad got it for a third time out of the four years it's been held. Mm. So... Basically, we were looking at it, it was probably going to be Barbados or Guyana, depending on who could put up the money. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we heard that possibly Florida were interested in, in taking it as well. And if they'd held the finals in Florida this year, I think there would have been a backlash. I, yeah. I don't think the people of the Caribbean would have been very happy. Yeah. I mean, it's very difficult to go and watch the, the, the games on the other islands anyway, because yeah. inter-island travel is near no. impossible. There and are very, very limited expensive. number of flights between the islands, and, and obviously when you're transporting um, you know, five, five or six teams to the various places, um, you're taking up all of the flights, because it's not just the players, it's the TV crews, the radio crews, the actual CPL support staff, yeah. Uh, you know, and it's very difficult to get to the games on other islands because of the problems we have in transport. Yeah. Um, so, obviously, Guyana or Barbados were the better option. Obviously, the islands in the north were probably not going to be happy that it would be held for the, the third time down in the south of the Caribbean. But you've got to hold it somewhere, and I don't think it would have been fair to have held it in Trinidad again. Now, Guyana have came out last week and said that they have got it. I immediately spoke to the press office at the CPL who told me they don't know what I'm talking about and it was news to them. Um, and, uh, and yet we still don't know where the finals are going to be played, nine weeks away from the start, and, we, and, and five, five, uh, five, five territories have no idea when the games are being staged in their territory. I, I, I heard uh, Damien O'Donoghue in an interview um, yesterday, today, uh, with Talk Sport 2 and, and saying that one of the big things about the CPL is it's great if you can have tourists come out to attend those games because it's uh, the biggest party in sport, etc, etc. It's a bit difficult when you don't know when the games are being played. <laughs> <laughs> you stole my punchline, but yes. Yeah. I, I, I can see where this was going. How, how can you say you want to get tourists out there and then give them six weeks' notice to try and get flights, try and get accommodation? I mean, particularly uh, bearing in mind that in the middle of, well, towards the end of the, the CPL is is crop over in Barbados, which is, yes. is carnival in Barbados. And it's one of the busiest parts of the summer. Yeah. You know, the hotels are booked, the flights are booked, people coming out for, for crop over. Yeah. No, it's, 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 it's not looking good. And, and people often from outside the Caribbean are not aware just how difficult the, the, the travel is, as you say. Um, it's not like getting on a, a coach uh, and going from um, London to Manchester and sort of just rocking up the motorway for three and a half hours. Uh, not only have you got uh, lengthy flights, often in and out of the US to get to another island, to get from one island to another in uh, in the in the region, but they're blooming expensive. Not only they're ex- are they expensive, but they are also <coughs> infrequent. And even if you and, and unreliable books a flight, you don't know if the airplane's going to turn up. And people might think I'm joking, but it's the case. No, no it's, it's well. I mean, um, earlier, uh, uh, in the, I think it was in the first year of the CPL, they had huge problems uh, where they were getting teams taken out to another island to play games and that all of their equipment didn't get on the flight because the flight was full and their, their equipment was turning up either on the morning of the game or something i think in one instance didn't turn up in time at all they're having to borrow stuff and that is the problem with with the caribbean and, and traveling from island to island yeah yeah no it's it's i often think it's not documented well enough how deep the economic challenges of the Caribbean are of the region. But there are other challenges too, as you uh, indicate, the insularity, uh, the transport, 
there's there's so many things that that, that they have to overcome. Um, we're going to wrap up, uh, Terry, but I do want to ask you just in the last five minutes before we uh, stop chatting. Uh, so I know you've got to get to your uh, uh, National Heroes Day party. What's happening with the Barbados Tridents? Do they know themselves? Dr VJ Malaya, uh, he's been on the front pages of the Financial Times in the UK, the Economic Times of India. Uh, he's, uh, had warrant, he, he's supposed to have absconded from, from India to, to the UK. Warrants have been issued. He was found guilty the other day in his absence in court of bouncing a cheque. Um, I, I presume it wasn't a cheque that he paid a uh, hundred dollars for the uh, Barbados Tridents. Um, yes, the, the, I've, I've spoken to uh, Dr. Malaya about the situation, and uh, as in the world over, obviously the press are playing a major part in making things look a whole lot worse than they they are. All of all of the issues regarding Dr. Malaya come from the fact that he uh, opened an airline, Kingfisher Airlines. And this was, I think, 10, 12 years ago. And uh, the pilots went on strike. Uh, they had a few issues with the government over licensing things. And it ended up that the airline went into liquidation. Um, part of the loans that were signed uh, to the airline were personally guaranteed by Dr. Malaya. Hmm. Um, and obviously that is what the banks are looking to recover uh, now. I mean, I've been following this story for a long, long time now. Hmm. Uh, I was reading an interesting article this morning that 11% of the loans in India that have been given by the banks have all been loans that probably should never have been given in the first place. But obviously the banks went ahead and gave them, and now they're trying to recover the money. Yeah. Uh, and because Dr. Malaya is um, very charismatic, was well-loved uh, personality, and he's very high-profile, he's had some lavish parties, now he's being hung out as the sacrificial lamb. Now, I'm not saying that he doesn't owe money. He yeah. does, and he openly admits that, and he's been trying to work on, on repaying it. Hmm. Um, I mean, according to Forbes, he has a personal wealth of, of just under one and a half billion US dollars. <laughs> However, some of the, some of the loans that, that he has to repay do take out a big chunk of that there, probably about 1.4 billion. And if he repaid it, he's still got a hell of a lot of money, a, a whole lot of money, more money than you or I will ever see in our lifetimes. <laughs> um, so it's not that the man, <clears throat> the man is broke. He's he's been trying to. The thing is, he's been actually been trying to work with the with the banks, and he's made offers to to repay the money. But rather than uh, accept a partial payment at the moment, they want the whole lot in one lump. Yeah. Uh, and the, the, the issue's got to the stage now where. Uh, he is also a member of parliament yeah. so he trapped on a diplomatic passport so his diplomatic passport's been revoked yeah. uh, non-bailable warrant for his arrest has been issued because he <clears throat> it, it, I, I, I think quite rightly he's refusing to go back to India at the moment because of the, the, the storm that's been uh, raised by the press um, if he goes back to, if he does go back to India, he will go straight to prison awaiting trial. But then again, there was another very interesting uh, piece uh, this morning uh, in one of one, one part of the Indian press. Mm. Uh, they actually they actually made some very good points, um, saying that the bank actually haven't proved anything against him. You know, uh, in last year, last year they. Uh, filed a case against him of suspected fraud uh, and they've gone through all of the books and they can't find any evidence of any fraud uh, there was a case where he purchased a helicopter from from the united states uh, and so the banking authorities requested cooperation of the fbi to trace the trail of money mm. and i conducted the investigation and gave him a clean bill of health <laughs> um, so now then the bank's latest one is that they, they've asked him to provide uh, evidence of 
all of the property that he owns outside of India. Not just him, his estranged wife and his children. Um, and even the top lawyers in, in India now are saying, well, if they're in the other person, his son's or his wife's name, that can't be part of its case because, the, the, you know, and, and they have shown that, you know, this man was already extremely rich. He took over his father's brewing empire and, and spirits empire. Uh, he's always been extremely rich. Uh, um, and a lot of people now are saying that uh, they actually don't have enough evidence. Uh, this morning, uh, the Indian uh, Foreign Ministry have spoken to the British High Commission uh, in India asking if they will extradite him. Hmm. But they've got to show that they've got evidence. And everyone's starting to say now, even the top financial brains in India are saying they have no evidence against him. Yes, he agrees. You know, he's openly said all along that he's he owes some money uh, and he's prepared to pay it. But he's trying to sort it out and he feels it will be to his detriment if he was to go back to India whilst he's trying to sort things out. And in fairness... If it was you or I, uh, and, and you know we got this going on in England, yeah. would would we want to rush back there? I think not. You haven't got that going on, Terry, and you're in no hurry to go back to England from uh, uh, Barbados in any case. Um, honest, I wish I'd, I do wish I had 1.5 billion US dollars. That'd be nice. Well, you give you the option. What, 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 you're, what you're clearly saying is that uh, there's a hell of a lot more to this than is being portrayed. In terms of the Barbados tridents, though, uh, the time frame here has got to be important. I mean, does this restrict his movement uh, to the Caribbean and back? Bottom line, yeah, is this going to endanger... At the, moment, at the moment, he doesn't have a passport. Right. Uh, from, from things I've read in the press, I can't confirm that this is anything that's true or not. Uh, I believe, from what I've read, that he's applied for a passport in Malta, where he has been a resident for years. Mm. He's a resident in the UK. Uh, and that's the thing they're saying, he fled India. He's actually been a non-resident of India for many years. Yeah. Um, he owns a Formula One race team, which is based in England. And that is where he spends a lot of his time. It's where mm. most his kids are split between America and England, and he wants to spend more time with his children, which is understandable. He's 60 years old now. And, you know, the, the, the whole situation, he, I think he's getting blown a little bit out of proportion. Yeah. Yes, the man owes money. Um, so does probably every person listening to this podcast. Yeah. Owes yeah. money. Obviously, his is on a greater scale. But he's got a greater amount to start with. Bottom line, though, does it endanger uh, the Barbados Trident's participation in the, the CPL? Oh, absolutely not. I, I don't think there's any problem whatsoever because if, if um, and I'm, I don't know because the CPL have, have stayed very quiet. They've not made any comments. They've refused to comment on the situation. Yeah. But my understanding of it is that he put up uh, the two million US dollars that has to be paid for the team to compete this year. So that money is safe. And it's, he's not the sole owner of the Tridents. He has partners in the Tridents, one of which is the government of Barbados. Yeah. Um, so I don't see any issues at all this year. And if he hadn't, if the money isn't there, then the CPL are, are going to have to put up the money themselves like they have done in the past three years to, to most of the teams yeah. uh, not so much this year uh, I think there's only uh, one team now without a formal owner uh, but the CPL are going to have to finance that team for this year and they would have to do the same with the Tridents because at the end of the day if it did all go horribly wrong you have to ask what due diligence was done by the CPL when they sold him the franchise yeah yeah that's a question for another day. I think uh, I think we've exhausted ourselves. I think we can, hopefully, what you've said will, uh, at least in the short term, put those people concerned about the, the Trident to uh, uh, put their, uh, their fears to one side. Um, near the CPL time itself, 
Terry, I'm hoping you and I, a couple of months from now perhaps, uh, can get together again and have a look at the uh, the cricket rather than the uh, uh, off-the-field stuff. Um, well, I'm pleased, very pleased to see that A.B. de Villiers, who the Tridents have signed for the first time for, for this, this season's CPL, is playing exceptionally well at the moment in the IPL. Yeah. Uh, so that's good news. I'm worried that Kyron Pollard's not fit at the moment is not performing well in the IPL and anyone who knows me well knows that I think Pollard's one of the best T20 players in the world uh, and it does worry me that, that Kyron's not having a good time of it at the moment but we've got a strong side he's, um, he's, he's, so, he's saving uh, himself I, I, for you Terry he's saving all his, his match winning performances uh, for the Caribbean well in fairness he's not let us down so far He's been captain since day one, and uh, he's known here as Captain Fantastic. Uh, the, the last two years, there have been people in the ground, because Chiron's actually Trinidadian. Yep. Uh, there have been people in the ground holding up banners saying, give Pollard citizenship. Uh, the fans <laughs> love him. He's a big character, and uh, I'm sure he's going to come good this summer. I hope you're right. As a Barbados Tridents fan myself, uh, I hope you're right. Uh, Terry, your blog uh, exclusively about the uh, CPO and the Barbados Tridents, where can people find that? www.barbadostridents.wordpress.com Yeah, and uh, I will uh, put a link uh, on to that uh, when I put this uh, podcast up. Uh, Did you want to hand out your uh, uh, Twitter address so people can uh, disagree with you, Terry? I wish you'd told me you were going to do that because I've got no idea. <laughs> <laughs> I will put I will put that on there too if you're happy to have people uh, address stuff to you. <laughs> Absolutely. To be, to be honest, it's very rare that I tweet. I tend to look in the morning at, at, at the tweets from people I follow, but I very rarely use Twitter uh, as a as a, a platform. Yeah. Uh, I tend to I tend to vent my anger usually on Facebook. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, 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 I tend to, yeah. <laughs> the fact that we're nine weeks away and we still don't have fixtures. Uh, In fact, I don't know if uh, during, during our conversation my phone bleeped. And I quickly looked just in case it was the CPL sending me the fixtures. Oh, we could have had an exclusive, couldn't we? Yeah. I was hoping, I was hoping, yeah. <laughs> there's always, there's always hope, Terry. Um, that's about it. Uh, thank you ever so much for uh, uh, spending this time with me. Thank you for having me on, Dave. It's a pleasure as always. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll do it again, as I say, in a couple of months. Uh, and thank you all for, for listening. This has been an extra edition of the, uh, the Willow in the Windies, the Caribbean cricket podcast with me, David Oram, and I hope you can join me again sometime soon. Goodbye.